Hello and welcome to the 28th of June's edition of Worcester Talking Newspapers. I'm Phil and I shall be the editor for this recording. The team for this week's edition comprises John as recording engineer and Carol who is on copying and admin. Our readers today are myself and Catherine. Please do keep sending us your feedback, good and bad, as the team here wants to make the recording as pleasurable and as relevant as possible for you. If you do have any comments or problems, our telephone number is 01905 767 766. Please be prepared for an answer phone to take your call. As usual, we have the headline stories followed by local news, sport, selected radio programmes, obituaries, thought for the day and the birthdays. And if we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please get in touch and we can add it to the birthday file. All the items follow on and you can stop and start them using the big buttons on your player. You can also hear the recording on our website, worcestertalkingnews.org.uk, which also has the magazine and past recordings. You can also access this uh, material via your normal podcast provider. A quick reminder about our Talking Book Library. It is free and is being constantly updated. I've just been having a look and the titles look really impressive, really attractive. Headlines. The main headlines this week are Battle to Keep Student in UK on Thursday. Friday gave us Police Probe Death of Amazing Bloke. 500 Office Jobs on Saturday, Cultural Hub, which is a story about the Worcester Porcelain Museum reopening on Monday, Police Officer is Cleared of Rape on Tuesday, and Cabby Found Man's Body in Road, which is Wednesday's story. So, as I said to you earlier, Catherine and I will be doing the reading. So, Catherine, would you like to start with the first headline? Thank you, Phil, and hello from me. Um, so this is Thursday, June the 21st, and the headline was Battle to Keep Student in UK. A petition has been launched to stop a former Worcester University student from being deported after he was refused a visa. Hemaka Pathiranaji, who came to the city in 2011 and has remained ever since, was refused a working visa in July 2017 after he did not finish his master's course due to his work as vice president of the student union at the University of Worcester. He challenged the decision but was given 28 days notice on Wednesday, June the 13th to make arrangements to leave the country. If he does not leave, he could be deported. A petition to keep him in the country has already gained more than 1,400 signatures. His supporters say he is a great asset to the city, coaching a blind cricket team and volunteering in many roles. Friend Rachel Bayliss, who started the petition, said, This petition has been started to try and get the Home Office to look at Hemi's case on an individual basis, as he's a hard-working, kind and honest person who's complied with everything they've put to him. Hemaka Pathiranaje came to the UK from Sri Lanka in September 2011 to study a sports coaching science degree at the University of Worcester. On completion of his degree, he then began his master's in sports coaching, which he was unable to finish with his commitments to his student union. Due to this, his visa sponsorship from the university was stopped. 
Since then, Hemi has applied for a working visa through all the right pathways, only to receive a visa refusal letter in July 2017, stating that his claim was clearly unfounded despite him being a model citizen with a large community involvement and high profile within his community in his student union and cricket club. Following this, he sent a human rights claim to the Home Office, hoping to gain more time to find a right pathway to stay. And for the last 11 months, he's lived on edge, not knowing when he'll receive the letter telling him if he can stay and work in the place he now calls home. Finding a job with his qualifications wasn't difficult, but finding one with visa sponsorship has proved a challenge. Due to his visa status, he's been holding down two part-time jobs at a nightclub and a cafe to cover living costs. And since receiving the 28-day notice, he has no rights at all to work in the UK, yet is expected to have the money for flights back to Sri Lanka. Mr Pathirinaje coaches junior, senior, women's and blind cricket on a voluntary basis and is the captain of City Cricket Club Old Elizabethan's first team. Whilst at the university, he was a student ambassador, event ambassador, receptionist, Breathe Easy Smoke Free Advisor, Green Impact Project Supervisor and University Facilities Assistant. As Vice President of the Students' Union, he brought the Take a Stand campaign started by British Universities and College Sports, BUCS, to Worcester, which aims to eradicate any form of discrimination in sport. He's also a member of the Worcester News Camera Club and readers may have seen his pictures featured in our pages. A university spokesman said, Hemaka Pathirinaje is a very valued member of the University of Worcester community as an alumnus. Following his undergraduate degree, Hemaka spent two years representing his fellow students as the elected vice president of the Worcester Students' Union, responsible for societies and activities. Hemaka's hard work and positive personality made him a very popular member of the university community. During this time, Hemaka's community, voluntary and sporting activities also established him as a very popular member of the wider Worcester community. We very much hope that the Home Office treats Hemaka's case with compassion. A Home Office spokesman said, Mr Patherinage's previous leave to remain in the UK expired in January 2016. In July 2017, he submitted a further application under human rights legislation on the basis of his private and family life in the UK. All applications are carefully considered on their individual merits. As Mr Pathirinaje's application has been refused, he should now be making arrangements to leave the UK. Mr Pathirinaje would be able to appeal the decision from outside the country. To view the petition, visit change.org slash p slash home office let them stay don't let the home office deport this valued member of our community now friday's headline was police probe death of amazing bloke police are investigating an unexplained death after a body was found in the early hours of the morning the body of a 58 year old man was discovered at 4 a.m yesterday in lavender road worcester after he suffered a cardiac arrest and the next of kin have been informed the death is being treated as unexplained, with residents of the road believing the man suffered a head wound. Forensic vans were at the site for several hours afterwards, and the road remained closed until the afternoon. 
police cordoned off the street where it meets Barbourne Road for about a hundred yards down the road. A friend of the deceased man who did not wish to be named said, I can't believe this has happened. He was the most amazing bloke. He has been amazing to me when I've had a few troubles recently and he was a great friend to everyone he knew. West Midlands Ambulance Service was called to the scene shortly before 4am to reports of a man in cardiac arrest. Two ambulances and a paramedic officer attended the scene. When crews arrived, they found the man in cardiac arrest. Paramedics advanced life support at the scene before he was taken by land ambulance to Worcestershire Royal Hospital. Resuscitation efforts continued en route to accident and emergency. A West Mercia police spokesman said... Officers were called to an address in Lavender Road, Worcester, at around 4am today, Thursday 21st of June, after the body of a 58-year-old man was discovered. The death is currently being treated as unexplained. A post-mortem is due to take place and the next of kin have been informed. Anyone with any information, call 101 and quote incident reference number 0054S of June 21. The headline for Saturday, June the 23rd, is 500 office jobs and the whole of the front page virtually is a mock-up really of uh, a sort of imagined imagination of what a new building in Farrier Street could look like and it says revealed how Farrier Street could look if Sanctuary Homes HQ plan is approved. It's a plan for a new office block. Uh, it's a huge creation of steel, glass and cladding, which could soon be rising near a key gateway into the centre of Worcester. The plan by Housing Association Sanctuary Homes to build a new headquarters block for 500 staff in Farrier Street will be decided on Thursday, the next meeting of Worcester City Council's planning committee. That's, in fact, today, the 28th. And the building scheme, which could see as many as 500 jobs created in the city, has been recommended for approval by the City Council's Deputy Director for Planning and Economic Development. The office block could be built on the cleared site of a former Suzuki car showroom and workshop, which is next to the existing buildings used by Sanctuary Homes. The application by Sanctuary said the development will also see a brownfield site, currently vacant, brought back into use. This will be of benefit to the appearance of the local area and the adjacent conservation area. An artist's impression of the building shows a combination of red terracotta cladding panels, glass and metal ribbing. It is designed to echo Sanctuary's existing building on the site. The application emphasises Sanctuary's desire to have Worcester as its headquarters city. A spokesman for the Housing Association told the Worcester News, We love Worcester. It's a fantastic place to work and we're proud to be based here. If this planning application is approved, it will give us the option of expanding the organisation in the future. We already employ more than 1,500 people in Worcestershire and we're always looking for further opportunities to invest in the local area. Um, the prospect of more jobs is just one of the aspects of the scheme which led the Guildhall planners to recommend it is approved. The report to councillors says this proposal, which would aid the provision of office accommodation for quality office jobs within a sustainable city location, will bring a currently vacant brownfield site into use. 
Monday's paper gives us a very big photograph of the newly refurbished porcelain works, the Museum of Royal Worcester. Uh, the headline reads, Cultural Hub, Stunning Transformation of Worcester's Royal Porcelain Works Revealed. Full story, turn to page three. So we'll do that. And we find another headline saying, Sandon to Open Building. A multi-million pound revamp of Worcester's historic Royal Porcelain Works will be revealed this weekend. The official opening marks the culmination of more than 18 months of work, turning the disused buildings into a new cultural venue for arts and entertainment. The original showroom has been transformed into the Henry Sandon Hall, run by Worcester Live, which seats up to 140 people and can be used as a theatre, exhibition hall, concert hall, or be used to host pop-up auctions or family events. Antiques Roadshow presenter Henry Sandon will be carrying out the official opening at 11am on Saturday. Mr Sandon said, It's absolutely fantastic to be opening a building named after me. A great tribute. The Samuel Driver White Suite incorporates a studio for artists and craftspeople to showcase their work and run workshops and a boardroom available for private hire. The centre includes the Nest Cafe Deli, run by the team behind the Nest in Ledbury, and the Handmade Scotch Egg Company, and a courtyard created by award-winning garden designer Olivia Kirk. It also includes a gin distillery run by Nick Weatherall, who was first involved with the project as a builder. But as the work progressed, he became so enthused that he decided to open up the distillery as part of the project. He said, as well as making my own piston gin, I will be holding gin-making workshops where participants can use miniature stills to make their own gins based on my large stock of herbs and botanicals. The works has been enabled by the Bransford Trust, which aims to encourage greater participation in the arts, increase tourism and ensure a vibrant future for this historic location. Royal Porcelain Works Limited Chairman Colin Kinnear, OBE, said, We are absolutely delighted to have completed the restoration and redevelopment of the works into a lively new cultural venture. Alice Brunt, Marketing and Development Manager, said, We are looking forward to inviting visitors to join us for the opening weekend, which will be a great opportunity for people to see what we are doing. At the opening, visitors will be able to enjoy live entertainment, including Rock Choir, Voices Unlimited, Samba Band, Someone at the Door, and the Butterfly Puppet Theatre. Right, so the next story for Tuesday, June the 26th, is Police Officer is Cleared of Rape. A serving police officer has been cleared of rape by a jury. Gary Jones, a serving West Mercia police officer who worked at Worcester and Malvern, wept as he was acquitted of three counts of rape at Worcester Crown Court yesterday afternoon. The jury of six men and six women took just an hour and seven minutes to deliver unanimous not-guilty verdicts on all three counts following a trial which began last Monday. The father has served in the police in West Mercia and Gloucestershire for 26 years after joining at the age of 19. He was embraced by family, including his wife and brother, in the court's waiting area. They had supported him from the public gallery throughout the trial. The 45-year-old, who gave evidence from the witness box, said the allegations were malicious and untrue when he attended two voluntary interviews in November and December 2016. 
The first he heard of the rape allegations was in the summer of 2016, after he returned from annual leave and was told to see his chief inspector and approached by two officers from professional standards. The court heard that the rape accusations against Mr Jones were made to police in February 2010. Mr Jones had broken down in the witness box and told the jury she threatened she would ruin me, she would get me to lose my job. The court heard how Mr Jones, just four years off retirement, was a decorated officer with no previous convictions, reprimands or cautions when he appeared for his trial. He received a commendation on vellum from the Royal Humane Society in 2009 for rescuing a suicidal man on the Malvern Hills in heavy snow. Mr Jones, who worked for Task Force and had served with the Tactical Weapons Team, had also been awarded a Long Service and Good Conduct Medal in 2012 and a further commendation also in that year for his efficient response to crime. When his barrister recounted his testimonial for the Malvern Hills rescue, he broke down, for he had himself taken an overdose involving 48 pills in January 2006, the court heard. A series of references were provided on Mr Jones's behalf, one of which was delivered in person from the witness box by a friend he had known since 1991. Simon Lofts, aged 48, an insurance fraud investigator, described Mr Jones as a gentle giant. He told the jury he's polite, painfully polite on occasions, just a thoroughly nice chap. I would trust him with anything and everyone I hold dear. The court heard how the woman who made the allegation was never examined by a doctor at the time she said the rapes happened, which was June to September 2006 first mentioning it to her GP in 2013. The defence had heard how she also told police that Mr Jones had carried out a rape in 2009, but later said that, that was not true and that someone else was responsible, telling police this was not a deliberate lie. The woman who accused Mr Jones of rape and her mother and sister all gave evidence behind a screen which meant they could only be observed by the jury, the clerk and the judge, but by no one else in the court. The accuser's sister had been heard by the officer in the case, DC Keris Barnes, to say of her sibling that she had spun so many lies. The comment was made at Hereford Crown Court on June the 8th this year, where the trial was initially due to take place, and a note was taken by DC Barnes. The witness said the comment was made because she'd been upset that her sister had told her it was the police and Crown Prosecution Service's decision to pursue the rape allegation when the choice lay with her sister. Mr Jones declined comment to the Worcester News at the conclusion of the trial. Wednesday's headline is a development of the story that we looked at for the previous Friday. The headline reads, Cabby found man's body in road. A cab driver who found the body of a man lying in the road has spoken about his experience. Kumar Chowdhury, aged 38, was driving a fare at about 4am on Thursday when he found a body lying in Lavender Road near Gellivelt Park in Worcester. The man has formerly been named as Keith Paul, aged 58, of Gellivelt Park. His next of kin have been informed. He stopped and called the emergency services and while the ambulance was on its way took instructions for medical help from the 999 operators. 
Mr Chowdhury, who drives for Cathedral Cars, said, They gave me instructions like check if he is breathing and give him CPR, and I did all that. But when the ambulance crew came, they took over. It was quite stressful. It's the first time I have had to deal with something like that, and I didn't sleep much for the next couple of nights. The investigation is at an early stage and the death is currently being treated as unexplained and inquiries are being carried out to establish the exact cause. Police would like to speak to any members of the public that may have seen Mr Paul during the hours of 11pm on Wednesday and 4am on Thursday. Detective Sergeant David Hall said, We are continuing our investigation and we would like to hear from anyone who has any information relating to Keith's whereabouts that evening. This could help with our inquiries and we would urge them to make contact via 101. Anyone with information should call 101 and quote Incident 54S of June 21. Alternatively, information can be provided anonymously to the independent charity Crime Stoppers on 0800 treble one or via crimestoppers.uk.org. Catherine. Right, thank you very much. Um, now, this is from last Thursday, June the 21st, and it's a story about Malvern Priory. There are lots of photographs, actually, associated with this, which I'll describe um, a little bit in a while. But it says, Priory comes to life. More than 600 children descended on Great Malvern Priory this week to take part in a Christian event called Life Path, which explores the faith the faith through through a historical figure. Groups of children from 19 local primary schools spent the day at the Priory, trying out different activities and learning about the history of the ancient building. They dressed up as monks, and there's one photograph of a little row of children wearing monks' habits, and learned about the life once led by the Priory's founder, Aldwin, and his fellow monks in the 9th century. 140 volunteers, all dressed in the white robes of the Benedictine monks, we've got another photograph of that, guided them as they tried out cooking in a monastery kitchen, designed stained glass windows, spun fleece to make sheep's wool, and rung the church handbells. Organiser Rosamond Ponting said it gives children a unique opportunity to explore Malvern's Christian heritage through the story of Aldwin and the Benedictine monks. They have lots of fun in the activity groups, sing action songs and have a chance to reflect on their own life path. Thousands of children have taken part in Life Path since it was first held ten years ago. Malvern Priory was founded in 1085 and over the years the original Norman building has been extended. It has seen the tragedy of the Black Death and lay empty and ruined after the dissolution of the monasteries. It was later restored and is now used for recitals and concerts, displays and exhibitions. I'm looking at a page which is festooned with the most fantastic-looking cars you uh, ever came across, uh, especially one where our new mayor is waving out of the window on a bright sunny day. Dozens of cars lined up in the city's high street for the Worcester Motor Show. On a sunny Sunday, 15 local dealerships showcased their models to the public, who admired them in their thousands. The show, which was organised by the Worcester News, was a chance for people to discuss different cars without the pressure of being inside a dealership. The Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Jabba Riaz, was amongst the interested visitors to the show. He said, It is great to see local dealerships coming to the high street. 
It gives people the opportunity to see the models from all of the different businesses without the pressure of being in a showroom. Worcester does events like this very well, and the motor show is always popular with residents. Anything which brings people to Worcester High Street is a good thing. Pershaw Motor Group organised various entertainments in Cathedral Square, including a talent show and an afternoon of live music. Taylor Wilkinson, parts manager of Pershaw Motor Group, which sells Subarus and son of the owners, said it's a good opportunity for us to get our name out there. People usually associate Subaru with old-fashioned cars, but they have changed and we want to show that. We've done this for three years now, but having Cathedral Square is a real added bonus. It has changed Worcester. Motorline Hyundai, starting Group Honda, Skoda, Suzuki and Peugeot, Lister, Volvo, Lister Volkswagen and Lister Seat, Motorline Toyota, Chevron Motors, Citroen and Bayless Vauxhall, few, were all showing their models off. Edwards, Mazda and Kia, Auto Village Cheltenham and Main Road Motor Company completed the lineup. Lauren Mullin, brand specialist at Lister's Volkswagen, said it's not so much about selling cars today, but to encourage people to come to our showroom and see our full collection. It is good to come to the public rather than waiting for them to come to us. The weekly market in the high street was also held along the show, alongside the show with stallholders selling crafts, artisan products, fine foods, vintage clothes, gifts, ethnic and fair trade items, handcrafted jewellery, street food, art, organic soaps and fragrances and shabby chic items. Well, we couldn't really do the talking newspaper this week without at least one World Cup story. And this is one uh, that was from last Saturday, the 23rd of June. Police warning to City England fans. Police are urging Worcester football fans to enjoy a safe World Cup and are reminding licensed premises to serve them responsibly following boisterous celebrations in the city centre after England's opening game victory. A large crowd of England supporters gathered at the cross following the team's 2-1 win over Tunisia on Monday evening and were seen banging on cars as they drove past. Forces across Worcestershire have increased patrols on England match days and a warning there will be zero tolerance to violence and disorder during the tournament. Emily Louise Clark, who'd just finished work on Fourgate Street, filmed footage of fans gathered in the city centre as police vans arrived. The 17-year-old said one person was taken away in a police van, however added that it was an amazing atmosphere to see everyone coming together supporting our country. Chief Inspector Melanie Crowther said a small rise in violent disturbances was seen in the county following Monday's match, in which England clinched the win in injury time. The inspector confirmed if officers had made one arrest in the county following the game. Sean Telfer, writing on Facebook, said the fans' behaviour was appalling. I don't mind people celebrating in the streets, but this was on a main road and they were banging on cars, shouting at people and running in front of moving cars. It's a shame that people like this seem to think that it's OK to do this. Jilly Erica said, We saw a mob all leaving mode, shouting and jostling. It was intimidating. Chief Inspector Crowther went on to say, We want to take this opportunity to remind fans watching the matches to do so safely. We're all looking forward to watching England's second match after such a promising start to the tournament. But I do want to remind people that we will be taking a zero-tolerance approach to those who think they can use the tournament as an excuse to commit crime and create disorder. 
causing a nuisance to the wider public. Carnival fun to hit city. Preparations are stepping up ahead of this year's Worcester Carnival. The carnival will take place in less than two weeks now, on Saturday, July the 7th, and signs have now been put up around the city. Carnival President Councillor Alan Feeney is looking forward to putting on a fantastic day in just under two months' time. He said, we will have a large programme of events and entertainment. It takes a great deal of time and planning and we're now in the process of finalising everything. The carnival is set to start from Pitchcroft for the first time in more than 20 years before making its way around the city. The event returned to the city last year after an absence of 24 years. On the day there will be a fun fair, live entertainment, trade stalls and a grand parade through the city centre. Two stages at Worcester Racecourse and at Cathedral Square will showcase local talent. Worcester Play Council has been chosen as the carnival's chosen charity. Last year, Headway Worcestershire, Acorns Children's Hospice and New Hope Worcester each benefited from bucket collections of more than £500 on the day. Children are also being encouraged to get creative and design a flag to carry in the carnival parade. For more information, contact info at Worcester slash carnival.co.uk Organisers are still looking for volunteers to help on Carnival Day. To express your interest, contact volunteers at worcestercarnival.co.uk um, This story um, is about a cancer group which is due to hold its first meeting. A new group has been set up to support Worcestershire people affected by blood cancer. The Worcester Haematology Support Group has been set up by Leukemia Care, a national charity based in Worcester, which provides advice and support to anybody who's been affected by blood cancer. Leukemia Care is a charity committed to ensuring that anyone affected by blood cancer receives the right information, advice and support. As well as support groups, the charity has a helpline and an informative website and organise patient and carer conferences, nurse education days, cancer campaigning and circulating accredited cancer information and literature. The support group is open to Worcester patients as well as their family and friends. The first meeting of the group was held last week on June the 21st between 7 and 9pm at Leukemia Care Headquarters, 1 Birch Court, Blackpool East, Worcester. Representatives from Seven Free Wheelers, the unsung volunteers which provide a free out-of-hours courier service, transporting blood each year, will also be at the meeting, giving a talk to group members. Nikki Bate, who coordinates the support groups for Leukemia Care, said, Our support groups are a great opportunity for patients and their loved ones to meet others in a similar situation. We're looking forward to the ongoing development of the Worcester support group. Anyone who wants to join the support group or find out more can call the helpline on 08088 010444 or visit the website http colon forward slash forward slash bit dot ly forward slash Worcester support. Wall repair would cost by £92,000. A woman has backed out of buying a home for her elderly mum after the county council told her that she would be liable for the £92,000 repair bill for a collapsed retaining wall.
Caroline Overton had found a home for her 83-year-old mum close to hers in Malvern and had an offer accepted last May. However, a couple of weeks later, a pavement retaining wall collapsed outside the home in West Malvern Road. Mrs Overton said that the current owners were told by their solicitors and insurance providers that as the pavement retaining wall belonged to the council, it should pay for the repairs. She said the legal department from the council disagreed and this was the start of the dispute. Mrs Overton said the council repaired the wall in January, saying it was because the missing pavement was a public safety issue. However, council lawyers insisted the homeowners must pay the bill. We previously reported on the dispute, with Mrs Overton claiming that she still wanted to buy the house, but her attempts to secure a letter from the council's legal team assuring that, if they did so, they would not have to foot the repair bill, has fallen on deaf ears. The council's legal department has now confirmed that they will pursue any homeowners for the full costs. Mrs Overton said, our solicitor advised us not to continue. Sadly, if we had been given this information by the council 12 months ago, it could have saved everyone a lot of hassle, but they would not answer this simple question until it all went public. She has since found another home suitable for her mum, who currently lives in Bristol, and is hoping to move her quickly. A council spokeswoman said, We continue to be in correspondence with the current homeowner to find the best solution for all parties involved. As this is an ongoing legal matter, it would be inappropriate to comment further. Well, if you like singing or if you like listening to choirs, this story will make you feel you've missed something. Its uh, headline is School Singing Success. Thousands of schoolchildren hit the high notes at the big sing event held at the University of Worcester Arena. Around 3,000 children enjoyed taking part in the event, which was held at the Hilton Road venue last Monday. The Institute of Education at the University of Worcester and Seven Arts organised the singing to bring the pupils from a number of county schools together. The pupils, aged 7 to 11 years old, sang in unison to a variety of historic-themed songs at the Big Sing. Among the songs that were enthusiastically sung were Viking Warrior, Chop and Change, Last Kiss Goodbye and Power in Me, all written by talented musician Rebecca Lawrence, whose songs have been performed across the world. Pupils took part in rehearsals ahead of the event, including learning sign language to enable them to sing and sign. At the event, pupils also participated in a singing workshop with educational vocal animateur Ulla Weber, who works with the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra. Julie Sutton, senior lecturer at the University of Worcester, who was involved in, in organising the event, said, It was a fantastic day. The children really got into the spirit and it was wonderful to hear them all singing together. The event was originally set up to get youngsters interested in classical music and has grown every year since first being held in 2014. This article is headed Shops WhatsApp Trap. Traders have set up a WhatsApp group to share information and photos of known offenders after a rise in shoplifting. Police encourage traders in Droitwich Town Centre to share the information via the messaging app. Sergeant Sarah Kent of Witchhaven Safer Neighbourhood Team said the scheme has proved really effective. She said it helps to reassure the shops that they're not on their own and that are working together to try to deal with this. No shop is an island and the same offenders go from one shop to another.
Sergeant Kent said the shoplifting problem reflects the drug use in the town and claims the thieves sell on the stolen goods for next to nothing to buy heroin or crack cocaine. She told a meeting of the town council last week, We're working with shops to try and deal with them in the longer term. A lot of it depends on who's in prison at any one time, and that's really the only control. It's quite labour-intensive for shops to have CCTV and quite annoying for them to constantly have to follow people around. A supervisor at a Droitwich petrol station told the Worcester News the scheme had been running since June the 1st. He said, It's coming useful if there's known thieves knocking about who might hit multiple stores. We are just keeping an eye out and letting everyone know. You just send something saying, This guy's about, he's just tried to rob here. He added, shoplifting was not too bad at the station, but the scheme was a useful precaution. He added, there are quite a few known reported offenders. Police do what they can, but often offenders might only go inside for a few weeks and then they're back out and up to their old tricks. Sergeant Kent said her team are looking at criminal behaviour orders to ban known offenders from certain shops. One offender subject to a criminal behaviour order is Richard Howlett, who is also currently on remand in prison pending a Crown Court trial. He is accused of an arson attack at the town's spa shop. Right, well this is a story for dog lovers. Um, Local author and dachshund lover Candy Jones has launched a crowdfunding site to raise money and awareness of intervertebral disc disease, IVDD, a debilitating spinal condition that afflicts one in four dachshunds, as well as other breeds. Miss Jones says... I hope that publishing Sausage Dog Days, a beautiful illustrated children's book, will help to spread awareness about IVDD and to alert dachshund owners to the challenges they may well face with their beloved pets. This is especially vital given the growing popularity of this breed. As a trained primary school teacher, I know how important it is to give children engaging books to read. In the back of Sausage Dog Days, there will be a message from Charlotte Baldwin about how the charity, dedicated to Dachshunds with IVDD, can offer help and support, and also a message from Ian Seath, the chairman of the Dachshund Breed Council, about lifestyle advice for your Dachshund and how their research project into IVDD can help. Dachshunds are more likely to suffer from IVDD than many other breeds. It is possible to reduce the risk of IVDD, but not prevent it altogether, by taking responsible breeding and ownership decisions. Crowdfunding works by asking supporters to pledge to buy a copy of Miss Jones's book before June 29th. Without this support, the project cannot go ahead. There is a range of pledges from as little as £5 to up to £100. I'm sorry, it's slightly out of date because today's the 28th, so a bit late if you want to um, subscribe to this. All the proceeds from the book will go to Dachshund Charities. For more details, look at the website, crowdfunder.co.uk forward slash sausagedogdays1. My next headline is Upset at Cuts to Heart Attack Care. The word cuts is in inverted commas, so we'll probably find out why in the course of the article. Hundreds of heart attack survivors are angry that that changes have been made to essential follow-up care. 
The Worcester Heart Support Group has made an official complaint to the Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, which runs Worcestershire Royal Hospital, after it reduced the number of cardiac rehabilitation classes. The group says national body NICE says patients who have survived a heart attack must be offered 12-hourly sessions of exercise along with six-hourly sessions of cardiac rehabilitation education within six weeks of discharge from hospital. The group says the hospital is offering all the exercise sessions but is now only offering just one afternoon education session every two months. The group's president, Trevor Cooper, says these educational sessions are critical. He said, my wife Ina had a heart attack 18 years ago. It came out of the blue, being very sudden. When she came out of hospital, I remember thinking to myself that her every need had been looked after for just for two, rather for two weeks, but now it was just me. I thought, what the hell do I do now? I was very anxious. Mr. Cooper said he had arranged a room for Mrs. Cooper so that she didn't have to move much and soon found out, thanks to the rehab classes, that that was a mistake. He said, they said she she needed to be active, so I'd got it wrong straight away. But there was about 20 of us in the group and we had advice on medicines, on exercise and on diet. We could ask all sorts of questions and get advice from specialists, but also get help and support from each other. It made a real difference. However, the trust says the changes it has made have improved its care. A spokesman said, we have made improvements in the way educational support is provided to heart patients across the county. This improvement has been made as part of our ongoing cardiac rehabilitation programme, which continues to support these patients. The improvements, based on current national guidance on best practice, have been supported by the National Audit for Cardiac Rehabilitation. A number of senior doctors and nurses from our cardiology service, as well as senior managers from the Trust, have spent time meeting with members of the Worcester Heart Support Group to explain what we are doing and why. Support groups for heart patients in other parts of the county have been positive about the changes we've made, and it is disappointing that, despite our best efforts, the Worcester Heart Group has not recognised the benefit to patients and carers this new educational support offers. Employees powering ahead on marathon. Employees from an energy company have completed a marathon. N Power's Worcester office have taken on the mighty Pennine Skyline Marathon Trek to raise money for Macmillan Cancer Support, N Power's charity partner of 14 years. The team raised over a staggering £10,000, which N Power matched pound for pound, giving a grand total of over £20,000. On Friday night, the fundraisers headed to the village of Edale in the Peak District, where they spent the evening mentally preparing for the challenge ahead. Paul Tonkinson, regulation advisor at NPAL's Worcester office, explains why he took on the challenge. Someone very close to me has been through cancer, so this walk had an extra special meaning for me. It was a long day, but my group kept each other going, even when we wanted to stop. The route, taking around 10 hours to complete, began early morning on Saturday. The team headed out around the skyline, starting with the Mamtor Ridgeline, with spectacular views of the Kinder Plateau. After reaching Kinder Law, they continued along the southern ridge of the plateau, around Ladybower Reservoir, up and over Winhill Pike, and back to the comfort of their accommodation in Edale. Enpar and Macmillan have been working together for over 14 years. 
We're now going to read some more of the non-headline stories before moving on to the sport. And I'm going to start with an article about the new mayor of Worcester, headed Mayor Welcomed, uh, with pictures of the mayor um, processing through the city. Civic Service formally welcomed the new mayor of Worcester. A procession from the Guildhall to the Cathedral took place on Sunday before a traditional service at 4pm to welcome Councillor Jabba Riaz to the role. The new mayor was alongside a number of notable city politicians, including councillors, mayors, chairmen from neighbouring local authorities for the procession. Amongst the 150 or so who attended were MP Robin Walker, former mayors Paul Denham and Roger Knight, and Brandon Clayton, chairman of Worcestershire County Council. Around 100 people lined the high street to see the procession making its way to the cathedral. The procession, held in sunshine, left the Guildhall, travelling to the cathedral for the 4pm service before returning to the Guildhall for refreshments. Before the service, the bells at Worcester Cathedral were rung by the Guild of Bell Ringers, and the organist for the service played Salut d'Amour by Sir Edward Elgar. Councillor Rias said during the service, I want us to show the world that Worcester is a beautiful, loving and faithful city. My message for the year is love, not hate. During the service, hymns were sung and passages were read from both the Bible and the Quran before the national anthem was sung. God is love, his the care, Collegium Magdalene Oxiense, and God of freedom, God of justice, were all heard during the ceremony before Dr. Georgina Byrne led the congregation in prayer. A speech by the Dean of Worcester, Reverend Dr. Peter Atkinson, encouraged the congregation to join together to oppose hate. The High Sheriff of Worcestershire, Cassian Roberts, read an extract from the prophecy of Isaiah. There was a collection for the Cathedral and St. Richard's Hospice, one of the Mayor's chosen charities for this year. Councillor Riaz took on the role in May, replacing Steve Mackay after serving as his deputy last year. He has chosen St. Richard's Hospice, Worcester Community Trust and Worcester Live as his three charities. His deputy mayor is Councillor Alla Ditter, clearing the way for him to likely become the mayor next year. This is a story um, headlined, Honour Given to Hospice Stalwart. A dedicated volunteer who spent almost four decades serving a hospice has been honoured with an award. Claire Norton from St John's has been nominated by St Richard's Hospice to receive the badge of the Order of Mercy at a ceremony at the Mansion House in London. The award recognises volunteers who have spent at least seven years supporting others, including those with a life-limiting illness. Only 50 of these medals are awarded each year. Mrs Norton was a founding governor of St Richard's Hospice and has been a volunteer since it opened in 1984. Since then, she's had a variety of roles, including providing therapies, transporting patients, volunteering within the community and fundraising. She said, It's been a privilege and been very rewarding volunteering for St Richard's Hospice, playing a small part in its growth from the beginning in Jenny Bullman's back kitchen to the fine building we have today and with its ever-expanding influence and contribution to society. The hospice movement has been a significant part of my life and it is a huge honour to receive the League of Honour Award. Mrs Norton trained as a nurse in Birmingham at a time when staff were not allowed to mention cancer or acknowledge that a patient had a terminal illness. 
This developed her passion for end-of-life care and she went on to train in specialist palliative care in London. By 1984, she had moved to Worcestershire with her husband and they became aware of the plan to start a hospice. She was involved in the preparation stages and was one of the few people at the first planning meeting with extensive experience of hospice care. St Richard's initially opened as a hospice-at-home community-based service from the Droitwich home of Dr Jenny Bullman, and Mrs Norton was a volunteer nurse in the early days. Seaside theme to bring wave of fun. This year's St Peter's Parish Festival will have a seaside theme. The annual festival, held in Power Park, Worcester, and largely funded by the Parish Council, will take place on Sunday, July the 22nd, and will involve the Royal Life Saving Society, the RLSS. A, non- a not-for-profit fundraising and educational organisation, the RLSS relocated from Warwick to London Road, Worcester, in 2017. Festival organiser Sean Archer said the Oh I Do Like to Be Beside the Seaside theme was chosen because Worcester is about as far from the sea as you can get. We thought it would be great to bring some of that atmosphere to landlocked Worcester. But, of course, we do have the mighty River Severn running through the city and so with the theme and the RLSS presence in the city it seemed seemed too perfect to ask them to be involved for 2018. The festival, on the outskirts of the city, provides plenty of entertainment to keep the whole family entertained. This year includes a surf simulator and seaside attractions such as Punch and Judy, Crazy Golf, Fish and Chips and Ice Cream. Councillor Alan Tidy, chairman of St Peter's Parish Council, said, Bringing a theme to the festival adds another dimension to what we're aiming to achieve for the residents of St Peter's. With plenty of water around our community, the RLSS's involvement is key, he continued. Last year, we attracted about a 1,000 visitors over the afternoon and are hoping for bigger and better things this year. Watch this space. Lawrence Hicking, RLSS UK Community Drowning Prevention Coordinator, said the organisation is excited to be involved in this year's festival and can't wait to meet some of our neighbours from the Worcester area. He continued, Given we've only made Worcester our home over the last year, it's a great opportunity for the community to get to know us a bit better. The festival is from noon until 4pm. Um... A young man's life has been ruined by a punch to the head in a row over a pair of sunglasses. Alex Gretton, aged 29, was hit in the temple by Billy Stokes after he refused to pay £200 to fix a broken lens, an attack which left him with a bruise on the brain and unable to stay awake, eat or work. Mr Gretton could not remember anything after the attack and did not understand what had happened when he woke up in Alexandra Hospital on May the 20th. Colette Orton, prosecuting, said the punch which caused Mr Gretton to hit his head on the wall and the pavement caused serious injury and had serious consequences for Mr Gretton. Worcester Magistrates Court heard how Mr Gretton was out drinking with friends when he tripped on a step in the outside inn in Marketplace Evesham and knocked Stokes's sunglasses off his head. Mr Gretton apologised and picked up the sunglasses, but Stokes of Ivy Court in Evesham told him that they needed to go outside to talk about it. At first, Mr Gretton did not think Stokes was being particularly aggressive and went outside with him. But Stokes, who had a history of violent offending, demanded £200 from Mr Gretton to repair the sunglasses. 
who objected. Mr Gretton offered to meet Stokes at a repair shop to fix the glasses, but he refused. Miss Orton said he could not understand what was going on and had no memory of being hit. In hospital, it was feared Mr Gretton might have suffered a bleed on the brain, but he was later discharged after doctors decided it was just a head injury. Mr Gretton said he spent five days in bed and could not stay awake for longer than ten minutes at a time and could not eat properly. Doctors said he had suffered a bruise on the brain. The court heard that Mr Gretton was a tree surgeon but could no longer work because of the fear of blacking out. On Thursday, Trevor Higginbotham, chairman of the magistrates, said the seriousness of the attack was beyond his powers of punishment. Stokes will appear at Worcester Crown Court on July the 20th for sentencing. Finish the job, please, is the plea that headlines this story. Questions have been raised over why it will take so long to duel the A4440 ring road after a new section of a railway bridge was completed. Mike Kent, 68, said he was alarmed after having been told by a councillor that money had not yet been secured to complete the duelling of the Crookborough Way section between the Norton and Whittington roundabouts. Mr Kent lives in St Peter's and uses the road every day on his way to his job in Gloucester. He said, This road is a real bottleneck and it's been like this for six years now and there's always traffic problems. We were told the plan was to duel the road, then put in the new railway bridge and duel the road underneath it. That was the plan as it was explained to us. But now it seems we're going to have to wait for that last part to happen. Mr Kent wrote to county councillors and received a reply from Councillor Ken Pollock, the county authority's cabinet member for economy and infrastructure. It said... This, duelling Crookborough Way, that is, will also cost a lot, and there is also the need for another railway, for another bridge alongside the rail bridge for pedestrian, cycle, and horse traffic. We are waiting for funds, mainly from developers, to give us the wherewithal to complete the job. This should not be unduly delayed. Mr. Kent said, I don't know if I'm missing something, but I'm staggered by this. Why aren't they rushing to get it finished? Why start without knowing where the money was coming from to finish the project? For the sake of about 150 metres of road that's not dueled, my neighbours and I, and lots of other people, will have to put up with years more of congestion on that stretch of road. It feels like the last straw, to be honest. Councillor Pollock added, We have the money for the next phase of the whole work, which is to duel the road between the Ketch and Powick roundabouts and to build a new bridge alongside the Carrington Bridge. We've got the £64 million funding for that, and it should all be done by 2021. We want to do the road under the railway bridge in parallel, but we haven't yet got the funding sources in place, so we can't start until we know where the money is coming from. Work currently happening near to the Carrington Bridge is to move an electricity pylon so that a new bridge can be built. Right, we'll move on to sport now, I think. Um, and I'll start now we're missing Pippa this week she's unfortunately unable to be with us but were she to have been here she would have loved reading this piece on netball so I shall do it on her behalf win aim for bird is the mini headline seven stars head coach Sam Bird is hoping her team can make it five wins in a row at home in their last game of the season Star's recent positive form has seen them win four, including the largest winning margin in the club's history against Team Northumbria. Now Bird is keen to see a fifth victory against Celtic Dragons in the University of Worcester Arena. 
We are obviously really keen to give our fans a great performance in our last game, she said. We love playing at home. We like to be able to prepare and we're really looking forward to it. It's the last chance for the players to play this season and it will be an emotional day for me as I'm so proud of how far the squad has come. Our fans have been fantastic this season, sticking with the team despite some tough losses earlier in the campaign and it is great that we've been able to repay repay their loyalty and enthusiasm with some winning performances as the season draws to a close. Their last match saw the team defeat Team Northumbria 63-33. Bird said she believed such a result showed the team's progress over the course of the season. For us, we could do with a couple more fixtures, really, and I think we'd be up there challenging, she said. Not even teams at the top are necessarily winning by these massive margins. It shows where we want to be and how we can push on for next year. Bird added that despite their winning form, Stars were prepared for a tough test against Dragons. They are truly passionate about representing Celtic and are always determined to be a challenging team to compete with. So here's a report about horse racing. Race day was a steaming success, it says. Horsepower met steam power at Worcester Racecourse last week when we were delighted to host the fourth annual race day of the Seven Valley Railway Charitable Trust. Thanks to the seemingly unbounded generosity of the supporters of the historic railway and racegoers alike, £13,000 was raised for the charity as a direct result of the event. Um, I have to say, this is actually a report from the executive director, Jenny Cheshire, because it's she's writing in her own voice. So as I go on, the I is Jenny Cheshire. Through the recent negative press, I'm pleased to say the racecourse has also received heartwarming support from numerous owners, trainers and jockeys, as well as regular racegoers. None more so than from Martin and Belinda Keithley, who train near Morton in Marsh. The yard is in good form and boasts a 100% strike rate at Worcester in 2018 with two winners from as many runners. The first came in May when Dr Dunraven, whose first run under rules was in a maiden hurdle at Worcester in October 2016, then trained by Philip Hobbs, posted his first career win from 12 starts. Their second victory came last week when Mr Mafia followed up his Stratford win with success in the concluding handicap hurdle. Having won both starts for the Keithleys, Mr Mafia previously ran six times at Worcester for Cropthorne trainer Tony Carroll, being placed on four occasions. The recurring theme of horses for courses is often evident if you trace a horse's form. Several examples proving this theory were evident at Pitchcroft last week. Ulster trainer Dan Skelton has sent Alcock and Brown to the races nine times. Of the six at Worcester, the gelding has won three and been placed in two, which is especially pleasing as his owner, Malcolm Alden of Droitwich firm Chess Plastics, is a great supporter of the course. Vendredi Trois, trained by Emma Lavelle, has run at Worcester five times since 2014 and has never been out of the frame. The nine-year-old won over hurdles here in 2017, finished third in a chase in May this year, and followed up that run with a chase win at the course last week. A further example is the tough mare Deauville Crustal, trained by Nigel Hawke. The five-year-old had wind surgery in the spring and bounced back to win a novice chase at Pitchcroft at the end of May and another novice chase last week. 
On both occasions, she was the only mayor in a race of geldings. Her victory last week came at the expense of Her Majesty the Queen's home-bred Fourth Bridge, who was just outpaced on the run-in, but had previously given trainer Charlie Longston his first royal success. Now some very good news. Cricket. Counties celebrate their first win in the league. Worcestershire are celebrating their first Specsavers County Championship Division 1 win of the season after they overcame Lancashire by 202 runs. The visitors' batsman Keaton Jennings made 177 and defied the county attack for nearly seven hours in pursuit of a target of 602. He was finally beaten for pace and bowled by Pat Brown in the penultimate over before lunch at Blackfinch New Road. The England opener struck 27 boundaries in his 295-ball knock, but the host's pace attack persevered on a flat track, and Ed Barnard picked up four more wickets to help them secure victory in mid-afternoon. The former England under-19 player finished with match figures of 9 for 129 from 46.4 overs. It was a welcome tonic in 2017, was Division 2 champions Worcestershire's bid to stay in the top flight after losing four of their opening five games, but they still occupy bottom spots. Worcestershire head coach Kevin Sharp said, I think it has been coming, the win that is, to be honest. During the start of the season, we were so near and yet so far at times. I think since the poor defeat against Knotts, I felt we were getting nearer to a win. We went down to Surrey and played very well down there and had a very close encounter with Essex. The lads have been outstanding here. The pitch has got better and better over the last couple of days. It has not done as much off the seam, but the resilience, patience and character they are showing is there to see. So it's a well-deserved win. On the recovery from 81 for 5 in the first innings, Sharp said, We're now able to overcome these types of situations and I've seen these lads grow in the five seasons I've been here. The majority of them are still young in age, but not so young in experience now. They've played a lot of cricket and are coming to the stage in their careers where they are really starting to understand their games. They are playing with some great responsibility and some great skill, and all the energies and groundwork that has gone in here over the last few years is definitely starting to play, pay rather dividends. And then there's a short little item next to that about Worcestershire all-rounder Ed Barnard, who gets mentioned in the article I just read, has earned his first call-up by England Lions for the rest of the series that are currently being played. So we wish him all the best too. Here's a very brief item about American football. Um, and it's uh, got a picture of uh, some American footballers, uh, or fo- American football players, um, playing at Purdiswell. Um, Worcestershire Black Knights conceded seven touchdowns as South Wales Warriors won 48 nil at Purdiswell to maintain top spot. Warriors finished the first quarter of the BAFA National League Division Two SFC Two West match with two converted touchdowns to make it 16-0. A third was added in the second period, but the extra two points were missed to leave the half-time score 22-0. In the third period, a fourth touchdown was scored and three more followed in the fourth quarter. Right, I've got a a couple of um, horse racing 
items here. Newland's Worcester Double is the first one. Clane's trainer Dr Richard Newland and jockey Charlie Hammond struck with a double at their home Worcester race course. A big eight-card meeting yesterday saw the duo bag their first win through five to four on favourite Destiny's Gold by a mighty 31 lengths in the bet tote quad pot at totesport.com claiming hurdle. I hope I've got that right. They sealed the brace in the last race of the day through 7-4 favourite Inessa in the bet tote place at totesport.com conditional jockeys mares novices hurdle. The football extravaganza family fun day was supported by the Albion Foundation and spirits were high as England thrashed Panama 6-1 in the World Cup. And then there's an eventing story to finish our sports roundup with. Worcestershire's 2014 Grand National winner Pino de Rey continues to impress in the eventing world. Starport rider Lizzie Doolittle was invited to parade the 15-year-old at Malvern's Royal Three Counties show. Stabled on the Malvern Pony Club stand, they met Neem Aspel, the daughter of Leighton, who rode to national success when the horse was trained by the aforesaid Dr Richard Newland in Plains. Neem was competing in the Shetland Grand National and the parade was led by Doolittle and Pinot de Rey in the company of Bob Champion, who won the national on Alderniti in 1981. The following day, Doolittle rode Pinot de Rey in the BE100 at Catton Park, Norfolk, where he performed a respectable personal best dressage of 32 and a fine cross-country round in a hackamore. OK, now Catherine and I are going to look at um, some radio programmes that we are, we're going to recommend and, and all these details are taken from the Radio Times. So Catherine, would you like to start with Saturday? Yes, so um, what I'd like to draw to your attention for Saturday um, are two very interesting programmes. Uh, the first one on Radio 4 at 2.30 on Saturday is a drama um, called The Thrill of Love and Maxine Peake stars in an adaptation of a 2013 stage play about model and nightclub hostess Ruth Ellis, who in 1956 became the last woman to be hanged in Britain and the women in her life during her final days. This has been broadcast before, about 18 months ago, but um, well worth listening to, I think, and that will be an hour at two, starting at 2.30. The other um, programme, which I think looks very interesting, is at 9pm on Classic FM, and it's the first of... Um, a number of programmes celebrating um, the composer, conductor and pianist Leonard Bernstein, um, who was not just America's first genuinely homegrown musical all-rounder, a creator of classical scores as well as popular musicals, like On the Town and West Side Story, but also a prodigiously gifted musician himself. And here in this very first programme... Um, we'll hear Bernstein conducting one of his signature pieces, Beethoven's Fifth, as well as performing Ravel at the piano and revealing his unique melodic gift in favourite songs from some of his shows. Lovely. Now, Sunday, 1pm, we are Radio 2, and the programme is called Broadway Ladies. A glance at the list of nominees for this year's Tony Awards shows that women are at last making their presence felt in the areas of writing, direction and design. 
and about time, it says here. After all, the Tonys take their name from a woman, Antoinette Tony Perry, who lived from 1888 to 1946, who was co-founder of the American Theatre Wing. Today, Elaine Page celebrates women's contribution, but finds the Great White Way is still a bit of a hill climb if you're female. Interviewees include Kinky Boots composer Cindy Lauper and Broadway legend Kelly O'Hara, who brings her Tony-winning performance in The King and I to London this week, and our own Diana Rigg, nominated again this year for My Fair Lady, 47 years after her first nod for Abelard and Eloise. And then I noticed that on BBC right now, I'm sorry about this because it's very early in the morning, but on Radio 4 at seven minutes past six, there's a programme called Open Country. It's a regular thing. Humphrey Repton and his red books, it's called. Helen Mark finds out about the English landscape gardener Humphrey Repton, who lived from 1750-odd till 1818, and the trademark red books, which he kept his designs and sketches in. The book for his first commission at Catton Park outside Norwich, now we just heard about Catton Park, didn't we, because there was a race there, is missing. So Mark goes on a de- detective hunt to find out where it might have gone. Sounds very interesting, but perhaps a little early. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I'm this, looking at Monday, next Monday, um, at 10.45 in the morning on Radio 3, there's a 15-minute programme um, with a, a, a kind of not perhaps very inviting um, title, The Essay, um, but it sounds very, very interesting. Throughout the week, to mark the 70th anniversary of the National Health Service, Dr Rita Caron takes a different book each day as a starting point for her own very personal reflections on her experiences as a physician with the people she treats. She begins by exploring the doctor-patient friendship with Miss Nellie Jackson of Harlem, recounting how a close reading of a short story by James Baldwin helped her to a deeper understanding of the experience of someone so different from herself. For 15 minutes, I think it would be very interesting. Um, The other thing I'd like to draw to your attention is another relatively short programme, 4 o'clock on Radio 4, and this has a much more intriguing title, I have to say. I was Philip Larkin's magician. Philip Larkin, of course, a very well-known poet, uh, who was also uh, the librarian at the University of Hull. And here, Andrew McGibbon talks to Edwin Dawes, the founder of the University of Hull's biochemistry department, and a magician who performed tricks for his friend, the poet and librarian, Philip Larkin. So I think that's half an hour at four o'clock on Radio 4. Right, now I've picked two programmes that follow each other, so a time for a cup of tea, or perhaps something cool in this hot weather. I've mentioned Making History before because I really love the programme. This one, 3.30 Radio 4 on Tuesday, Helen Custer is joined by Lucy Robinson from the University of Sussex in a programme that looks at an exhibition at the Barbican in London featuring the photography of Dorothea Langer, best known for her depiction of the Dust Bowl depression of the Midwest in the 1930s. Plus Radio 3's creation of a symphony made up of sounds commonplace in the NHS. Um, Tom Holland is in Cambridgeshire to visit Britain's biggest archaeological dig. Now that's followed at four o'clock by something called The Wrong Job. Broadcaster Emma Kennedy, who I admire quite a lot, offers up a jovial sigh after she receives the results of her Myers-Briggs test, a tool used to indicate psychological preferences. 
Kennedy spent five years working as a solicitor before realising it was the wrong job. The results of her test? She would be suited to a career in law. In a recent pan-European survey, just over two-thirds of British people said that they were unhappy in their job, and Kennedy examines whether anything can be done about it. The conclusion is that everyone should try out as many different career paths as they can. One young woman Kennedy meets is a living example. She tried 25 different jobs before she was 25 and now flourishes as a travel writer. Moving on to Wednesday now. Um, there's um, a programme which seems to be on at several times. It's on the World Service and the times given are 11.30am, 10.30pm and 2.30am. And it's called Money and Power, Winning It Big. This is something of a departure for the BBC's foreign affairs correspondent, Mike Thompson, who usually reports from behind battle lines with ordinary people who have seen their countries ravaged by war and famine. But here, Thompson is meeting lottery winners from around the globe. Some like to flash their cash, others use their windfall for the benefit of others. But he asks, perhaps inevitably, does money really make us happy? And how much does this depend on where we live and how we spend it? So that should be rather interesting. Um, my other recommendation for next Wednesday is Radio 3 at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and it's a concert coming from St. David, St. David's Cathedral. Um, and it's a concert with Vaughan Williams's Fantasia on a theme by Thomas Tallis, Elgar, Elgar's Cello Concerto, and Sibelius as well. Um, several pieces of music by Sibelius. So that should be well worth listening to them. OK, which takes us to our last day, which is Thursday. Now, I'm, going to, I'm a big fan of folk music, so I shall be listening to uh, a Radio 4 at 11.30 late in the morning called The Song Hunters, The Land Without Music. Singer and song collector Sam Lee celebrates the work of those who have fought to save ancient folk songs of Britain from extinction. He begins by revealing that some of the early collectors wanted to document traditional songs before the suffocating effects of popular music, their phrase not mine, extinguished them, while others wanted to use folk melodies as inspiration for classical music that was authentically British, including contributions from folk singer and collector Shirley Collins and recordings made by the composer Percy Granger, who was in very much, the, in many ways, the pioneer of uh, saving British folk music. The other thing is um, a, a, a programme on Radio 4, which is also at 11. I've done it again. I did this last time I did it. Scottish comedian Richard Dadd's earliest performances showed him struggling to find his comic persona. The, pro the programme's called Richard Gad Daddy Diaries. He then tapped into the comedy zeitgeist by turning personal tragedy into a stand-up routine. This culminated in 2016 in his award-winning Edinburgh show, Monkey See, Monkey Do. Gad's stage shows are a blend of high-concept theatrics, but his radio debut, in which facts and fiction devolve from real-life trauma, was specially created for the medium. We're now going to turn to obituaries, and I'll ask Catherine to start. That. Yes, fine, OK. Um, so, first of all, William Thomas James Bayliss, known as Bill, passed away on June the 14th, the funeral will be at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, July the 5th at 10am. 
Neil Bowen passed away suddenly on June the 5th. The funeral will be at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, June the 28th. I'm afraid that's today as I'm reading it. So at 12.15. Keith Miles passed away on Friday, June the 8th. And the funeral will take place on Friday, June the 29th at 11.30am. Diana Faith Mountain passed away on June the 10th and a private family funeral will take place on Wednesday, June the 27th, followed by a memorial service to be held later in the year. Graham Pass passed away on June the 14th. The funeral service will be at Holy Trinity Church, Malvern, on Wednesday, July the 4th at 1.30pm followed by interment at Great Malvern Cemetery. Martin Robinson passed away on May the 25th. A service to celebrate his life will be held at Worcester's Crematorium on Friday, June the 29th. Brian Arthur Wilcock passed away at the Worcester Royal Worcester Royal Hospital uh, on May the 27th. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, July the 2nd at 2.30pm. Dennis Arms passed away peacefully on June 7th, 2018. Funeral service was today, this morning, at 1130 Peter Douglas Hanley, formerly of Terry Phillips Sound, passed away peacefully on June the 6th, aged 89. The funeral service was again this afternoon at 2.30pm. Bessie Lee passed away on the 7th of June, aged 88. The funeral service will take place at St John in Bedwardine Church, Worcester, on Tuesday, July the 3rd at 1.45. Rachel Ann Dodson passed away on June the 12th, and the funeral, a service of thanksgiving will take place at St Peter's Baptist Church at 12 noon uh, on Monday, July the 2nd, uh, after a funeral service at the crematorium at 10.45. John Bennett Rowley passed away on June the 1st. The service uh, will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, July the 2nd at 11.30am. Robert Duncan Watton passed away on June the 5th. A service to celebrate his life will be held at Redditch Crematorium on July the 2nd at 12.30pm. William Wynne Williams, known as Bill, formerly of Borth, Wales, passed away peacefully on June the 8th. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, July the 4th at 10.45am. Michel Giovanni Iacovelli passed away on June the 16th. The funeral service will be at St George's Catholic Church on Monday, July the 2nd at 12 noon, followed by interment at Aswood Cemetery at 1.30. Keith Edward James passed away on June the 15th. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, July the 4th at 11.30am. Martin Lee passed away on June the 14th. 
and the service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, July the 13th at 11.30 in the morning. Naomi Betty Sanders of Ombersley passed away on the 11th of June, aged 96. Funeral service took place this morning at 11.30. And Donata Tina Walker passed away peacefully on June the 5th, aged 89. The funeral service will be at St George's Catholic Church on Tuesday, July the 3rd at 10.45. I'm now going to read the thought for the day. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. I'm now going to ask Catherine to read the birthdays. Well, four birthdays in, in, the, in the coming week. Um, first of all, Susan Roche on the 1st of July. Happy birthday. Two birthdays on the 2nd of July, Elizabeth Stiles and Alan Pennell. And one on the 5th of July, Ida Hewlett. Many happy returns of the day to you all. Now, I've got uh, unusually an important um, message for you all um, on general data protection, something that you, which you be, may well be aware is in the air. But this is very important, so I'm going to read it verbatim. On the 25th of May 2018, GDPR became law. That's General Data Protection Regulations. It means that everyone has to give permission for any business or organisation to hold information about you, your name, address and telephone number, for example. In order for Worcester Talking News to send you weekly recordings, books or the magazine, we need to hold your name, address and telephone number. These are held very securely and are only available to the administrator who receives and dispatches your wallet. You do not need to do anything if you are happy with this arrangement. However, if you do not wish us to hold your information, please tell us. Either leave a telephone message on 01905 767 766 or put a note in your wallet. This will, however, mean that we will no longer be able that you will no longer be able to receive recordings, and if you have any of our equipment, we will need to collect it. Should you have any questions, please contact us as detailed earlier. It may also be helpful to let someone else listen to this announcement if you are unsure. We hope you will continue to enjoy our recordings, but we are required by law to make this information available to you. And with that, it's goodbye from me, Phil. And it's goodbye from me, Catherine.